Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. So we are in the middle of a series entitled Thinking Biblically, and the whole purpose of this series is to clarify on hot-button issues that Satan right now in culture is uh, trying to confuse humanity about. Satan's main goal, again, is to distort good and evil, to distort our need for repentance in Christ Jesus. And if he blinds us to what is truly good and what is truly evil, you see, he blinds us to our need for Christ. That is the end goal of Satan, and that is why we're clarifying on these issues that Satan is so trying to confuse humanity about. Satan wants to keep the truth, the biblical definitions and informations away from humanity so he can continue his deceptions. Therefore, it is important we let the Bible which is the source of all correct and proper thinking, be the source of all truth and clarity, be the guide and define for us good and evil. Define for us God's holiness. And then lead us through Christ and through the work that Christ has done to repentance. Now we've talked about a lot of things in this series uh, and we have t- already t- spent a few messages talking about the gay and trans agenda. We did uh, two other parts on this issue. If you recall, the first part kind of generally overviewed the sins uh, and, and some of their root causes. The second part, we spoke about homosexuality specifically. And now in this final part, we are talking about this issue of the trans agenda. And it is perhaps the latest deception that's on the rise, causing all sorts of confusion, particularly in our culture. I mean, how many times over the past year where you have put on the news, put on some type of program, and this has not come up? This is a rising issue, an issue in which Satan is infiltrating and causing great confusion, and thus it's necessary to clarify on these issues this morning. But we don't need just any more human opinions. We have enough of those on the news and through the media. We need something deeper. We need something definite. We need the creator of sex and gender to talk to us about sex and gender and to let him define these things for us. Let his thoughts guide our thoughts on these issues. And the Bible does indeed speak over this issue. And Satan is doing everything in his power for people not to hear and and accept the things that we are going to go over today. So let's now turn to the word of God and see what the Bible says on this issue. Let's all rise as we read the word of God together. We have some selected passages from different texts. Uh, And if there's anything in red, we will read that together corporately. This is the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. He took from his side and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned it into a woman, what he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let's read this uh, scripture together. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please remain standing with me as we go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for all that you have made. We thank you for this word that you've revealed to us. And Lord, we pray that you, yourself, Holy Spirit, would teach us what we need to know concerning uh, this issue, Lord. That you would be our teacher, you would be our guide, and you would lead us into knowledge and into good practice of that which is in your word. We love you and we pray that today would be fruitful. In Christ's name, amen. You may all be seated. Now, as a reminder, before we dive into this issue, again, as we did last week, we need to clarify the goal and always, always, always keep the goal of reconciliation of the sinner to Christ in our mind as we address these very difficult issues. The end goal, again, that Satan is battling against is for humans to not see their need for Christ and not repent. Therefore, what we battle for is for humans to see their need and to be reconciled to Christ. You see, so that is the goal of why we clarify, as we alluded to earlier, it is all to that end of, of just letting people know and understand the goodness, the greatness, and the holiness of God and man's ultimate need for him. We must not lose sight of that goal, and we must always remember that individuals are not the enemy. We already know the enemy. We've talked about it several times already. Remote's having a, a bit difficulty here. If someone could advance, oh, I think we are good. Uh, we already clarified on the enemy. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 is a verse that has come up numerous times in this series. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. These individuals, no matter how con confused or no matter what the condition, are to be treated as those who bear the image of God. They themselves might not acknowledge it. They might even attempt to distort it. But nonetheless, they are stamped with God's image and have 
human dignity and must be treated as such. We must always remember that. We must love them and not see them as the enemy, but as the mission. Now, some people uh, don't quite understand the best way to love these individuals. The way to love these individuals is to, in conjunction with gracious action towards them, tell them the truth and beg that they be reconciled to God. It is not loving to let people pretend and to allow them to live an unfulfilled lie spewed from Satan himself when a relationship and reconciliation to their creator is available. Our job is to, in deed and in in action and in word, plea with the sinners that they be reconciled to God. Brothers and sisters, this is the ministry God has given us, the church. We have read this verse as well, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the mission we have been given. This is how we are to approach any individual who says they are transgender, transsexual, non-binary, whatever the case may be. We are to plea with them to be reconciled to God. That is what we do. And with this in mind, with this guiding the process, we must now dissect the issue. This issue of being trans. Now let's start with some definitions. Transgender, transsexual. They both have this prefix to them, trans. That prefix trans has the idea with it of crossing through or going through something. Right? Like if we have a glass window and the sun shines through that window, we would say that the sun is passing through and we would say the word for that particular feature is transparent. And when we allow an object of light to pass through, it's called transparent. Or take the word transition. The idea of going through some sort of change, passage through something. So if we are applying this, this prefix trans, now with gender and and sexuality, the claim being made is that one has the ability to pass through the barriers of their biological gender and sex rooted in their DNA to become the other sex. Thus, the language itself, there's, there's some sort of action, there's some sort of change going through that is self-acknowledged that is taking place. The question is whether or not these actions, this going through, this process of change is sinful. Transgenderism. Transsexuality, transvestitism, 
being non-binary, for those of you who don't know what that means, that is rejecting that there are only two genders and wanting some other option. All of these things, at its core, are the same. It is the rejection of God's creative will over your life. It is looking around at creation, all that God has decided in his creative will to make, and that includes the two sexes created in Genesis, and then looking at oneself and being so dissatisfied with that creation, specifically of yourself, that you desire to change it. It is saying to the Almighty, you got it all wrong, and attempting to do things yourself. Uh, Here is a good way to look at it. Transgenderism, transsexualism, and the like are an extreme lack of acceptance for how God made you biologically, to the point where one feels no longer content as they are, and thus feel it necessary to change their gender or sex. And the trans movement, this whole movement, is indeed sinful because it is a delusional elevation of feelings over the authority of God. And that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see two things. We're going to see that this movement attempts to overthrow God's authority. And we're going to spend some time looking at what the Lord says about sex and about gender. And then, in the second half, we are going to talk about what they replace God's authority with. And that is their own feelings. It is an elevation, a wrongful replacing of God's authority with feelings. So that is where we are going to uh, be this morning. So let's start by looking at this first point. The trans agenda attempts to overthrow God's authority. And once again, as with many of these issues in this series, we begin at creation. We know the inventor of sex. We know the inventor of gender. And thus, we know the definer of these things is actually God. According to Genesis uh, 1, verse 27, God created man, male and female, he created them. God alone has the authority to define and to determine gender and sex. Again, anything that is created belongs to that creator. Last week we went over this concept as well. We talked about the artist who takes uh, all of their paints and they create a wonderful piece of art, maybe hang it in their bedroom. Who would that piece belong to? The person who painted it, right? And if God has created gender and created male and female and everything that those two concepts involve, then he owns it. And he defines it, and he has rights over it. It is his authority on the matter that that actually matters alone. It is not for man to toy with, for it is God's. Now, one popular way man has attempted to take away God's authority on this matter of gender is by drawing a false distinction between one's gender and one's biological sex. I'll spend a minute here because it is important to understand what is taking place when this happens. It is a false distinction 
The problem is the words gender and sex have always been functional synonyms. They've always been used interchangeably. They mean the same thing. You see, before the trans movement took off, they used to mean the exact same thing. They were referring to the same idea. It was always rooted, and gender has always been rooted in the biological sex of an individual. Now think about it with me for a moment. Why would gender and sex be, from the trans movement, considered two different concepts? Well, because by necessity, the movement logically cannot deny the genetic data and the chromosomes, and so they want to keep the concept of biological sex distinct from the concept of gender, yet related through a blurry lens, which they can seize the opportunity to take that which belongs to the Lord, who created both male and female. Necessarily, even in the language of transgenderism that is going through something, is, is, is the self-acknowledgement that there is an attempted change taking place from what was originally there. It is by definition, and people will tell you this, people in the trans movement will tell you this, it is a fundamental rejection of your biological sex. The rejection of how you were born. And to reject something, friends, is to acknowledge that something was already there. So do you see the danger of this distinction? Your sex, your gender role is rooted in your biological sex. So this whole issue, you see, is related to rejecting the biological sex God has given you and the invention of this distinction of gender and biological sex is an attempt to make it sound a bit more rational as people look through it with a maybe slightly more blurry lens. A blur blurry, poorly defined distinction. And by the way, even if you grant the distinction, the distinction at best is not a scientific distinction, but it is a distinction of feelings, which we will get into a little bit later. So for the remainder of this service, let it be known that I will be using gender and sex as functional synonyms, as to not blur the lines which culturally Satan is trying to blur. And there are a few things we can learn about God's plan for the different genders from the scriptures in Genesis. For starters, God does not, in Genesis, create more than two genders. He made two genders. He made male and he made female. So this movement within the trans movement, called the non-binary position, right, is actually directly in, in opposition to the way the Lord has defined gender. Right? There are only two genders. There are no third or fourth genders. God has all the power in the world. If he wanted to, he could have made a third gender or a fourth gender or two of the same gender or, what, or with a slight distinction. He could have done whatever he wanted. But here is what he chose to do. He chose to create a male and create a female. And so this non-binary position, that is, they do not identify as either male or female, this, you see, is a clear rejection of God's original plan for gender and for sex. And it's therefore an attempt to overthrow the authority which God has on the matter. 
So genders were first seen in Genesis, male and female, and this is rooted in biological makeup. But this creation of male and female, it's not a one-time event here. Evidently, there's continuity here. All throughout history, we've seen males and we've seen females. Since it was established at the initial creation, it would be established for all further creation as well. And gender, rooted in one's biological sex, would be a part of the human experience and thus a part of God's creative will for humanity. And pursuing the trans lifestyle, you see, is rooted in dissatisfaction with who you are biologically. It is denying God his creative rights over you. Remember last week we mentioned Psalm 139, that it is the Lord who created you, even from the womb, even your most sensitive biology, mind you, was created by the Lord. For you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. According to this idea that the Lord is intimately involved in the creation of even an individual, not just humanity general, but even an individual in the womb carries with it the idea that it is God who determined your sexual identity. It is God who made you a man or made you a woman. It is God who gave you your chromosomes, who made you either according to Genesis 1.27, a male or a female. The work is the Lord's. He created biological sex for humanity generally, but also specifically for each individual according to his purposes. It is he who determines your identity, not you. And therefore, defiance against what God has created one to be is therefore sinful and rebellious against God's design. It is saying, Lord, you messed up. It is sin. If God knit you together in your mother's womb and made you a man, then an attempt to change something so fundamental to your biology that is doing the opposite of what David did in Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, David says, because I praise you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. When you can't sing along with David, and when you need to correct things that are a part of your base biological makeup, then you clearly do not think you are wonderfully made. And you have distaste for the one who made you. You reject the Lord's art as beautiful and replace it with your own idea. And friends, if you struggle with these things, hear and understand that God loves you and you are indeed a masterpiece the way you were first born biologically. You are wonderfully made. Do not deny your biological sex that's to insult the work of the creator, to insult the work of he who makes only masterpieces. Some say, well, that was, you know, that's the establishment of biological sex, but 
Again, they try to bring in this distinction between gender, and they say, well, doesn't that, we, surely we still have creativity to be trans or to go through some of these barriers that are in place scientifically. Sure, I acknowledge that biological sex is unique, but where is the prohibition in Scripture to try not to change these things? I mean, God allows us to do corrective eye surgeries, doesn't he? <laughs> God allows us to remove cancer from our body, doesn't he? Can't we improve ourselves? Well, you see, the issue here is there is no prohibition in the Scripture of getting a corrective eye surgery. And there is no prohibition in Scripture of removing cancer from your body. So to compare the two is just, it's just not comparable. It's comparing apples and oranges, two different things. Changing your sexual identity, however, is something that is prohibited in the scriptures. It is a barrier not to be crossed that is specifically stated in the, the word of God. Even crossing the cultural barrier of clothing of the opposite sex is called an abomination in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. It says, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. That is the difference. It is, are you letting Scripture dictate and guide you as you navigate this life, or are are you doing it based off of your feelings alone? You might think that those feelings are going to improve you, that that's going to make you a better person, but as we will find out, feelings are deceptive. That will not make you a better person. We know it because God has instructed us not to do it. If it was going to be for our good, God would not prohibit it. Friends, don't you see? This is where sin was born in this idea that we know better than God, that the restrictions in place are not for our good. They are for our good. It is to make you the best you you could possibly be. So we see that the simplest form here of even just dressing like the opposite sex is prohibited. And so, if the simple is prohibited, the more complex is also going to be prohibited. That is, behaviors like the other sex, hormones or surgeries, is also going to be forbidden. If a biological man appearing as a, woman in as, as a woman in clothing is an abomination, how much more anything beyond this? And this is intense language. An abomination, an object loathsome, or someone who is looked at with disgust in the Lord's eyes. Why such strong language? Well, again, it is insulting the work of the Lord. That is why this is forbidden. If the Lord wanted you to be something else, he would have made you something else. And to question that is to question his, his authority, to question his power, to question how smart he is. We also see God forbids people taking an unnatural role in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 9. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. 
Now, sometimes talking about these things can get a little uh, strange and awkward, but honestly, if it's in the Bible, uh, to be quite honest with you, um, get over it. It's in God's word. He wants us to know some things. Um, So sorry, uh, but if this gets slightly graphic, but while it is, uh, you know, God is here forbidding a specific thing, okay? He is forbidding the taking on of a gender role in accordance, uh, not in accordance with your biological sex. Effeminate was the Greek word for a male taking the female role in a relationship. It is denoted as the passive partner in male same-sex activity. Now, why is this relevant? Why are we going here? Well, for starters, not always, but most of the time, trans individuals are also pursuing homosexual activity, which also, by the way, means that they can't reproduce, which is the message we spoke on earlier in homosexuality, and I'd point people to that. Uh, You can find that online on our website. Um, And we had the whole message on there. But the question we must ask is, why is this passive role, this passivity in particular, zoomed in on here? Again, I believe it is to highlight the importance of the integrity of the sexual roles God has created for a man and for a woman. And is saying, and look at this, it's saying already homosexuals will not enter the kingdom. But it goes out of the way specifically to mention this additional thing. Why? Why? That the, you know, that the passive sinner or the passive partner is sinning in a unique way. Why is that mentioned? Well, there is unique sin in a unique way because that is an abandonment of the natural role which God has created for your sex or for your gender. Thus, by mentioning specifically this sin, it highlights not just homosexuality generally, for that was already mentioned in the text, but it highlights this idea of pretending to be a role which you are not. That is what is being highlighted here. In short, friends, God created gender and sex, and it belongs to him and is defined by him. We saw that there are two genders, male and female, and you are either one or the other, determined by your biological sex, by your chromosomes, which God gave you when he formed you in your mother's womb, in any attempt to look like or be like anything uh, other than what you are supposed to be, even in clothing or, or surgery, no matter the case, is prohibited by the creator of gender and sex itself. So we see with all of this that this whole trans agenda is nothing short of an attempt to take what belongs to God and give it Uh, to man. But not only that, in doing so, we we know intuitively that the fundamental arguments do not support this position. This is a rejection of science. This is a rejection of normal data that, that anyone can see. So that case is very weak. So what does this leave as a defense? Well, the defense is feelings. Feelings. The trans agenda wrongly elevates feelings. It is all about one's feelings. The driving force of this whole movement. It's not science. 
It's not, certainly not the Bible. It's not critical thinking. It is how do I feel? That is it. So the authority of God is rejected. What now? What are we left with? Feelings. Now, in charity, I am trying to steel man this position. That is, to make it as strong as possible so we can let the Bible expose not merely the weakest, but the strongest arguments in favor of the trans movement. But friends, unfortunately, here is the steel man. Here is the strongest argument in favor for this whole movement. It is summed up in this word, feelings. This is what we replace God's authority with when we reject his word. And we know this when, we, when one talks to a person who is in this lifestyle, a trans person, and you really get down to the bottom of it, the bottom of the issue, what you're going to find out is that they will always, almost always, 100% of the time, say something to the extent something doesn't feel right when they try to identify with their biological sex. They scientifically can't deny the, the DNA and the chromosomes, right, that they have. Again, necessarily in the language transgender, you're... you're rejecting something, and there has to be something there to reject, they, they have to acknowledge that by definition. So what do they do? They say, I just don't feel right. So science this doesn't support this. It's all about feelings. The, the external arguments aren't there, so what do they do? They internalize the arguments. And the basis then of the whole movement is that their gender, their biology, that the gender the, their biology tells them they have doesn't feel right. Human feelings, my friends, are, is, is the strongest case that can be made for this movement. But the issue, obviously, when we're left with human feelings, and if it feels right, then do it, is that feelings can be very deceptive, can't they? Feelings can be very, very unreliable, especially as a source for moral guidance. I feel a lot of things when I'm sitting in traffic, don't you? Yeah, I feel an awful lot of things. But certainly, these feelings should not be the basis for my actions. I may feel like doing some pretty nasty things, but clearly, these feelings should not dictate my moral duties. Of course not. Everyone knows just by experience, everyone knows this intuitively. Who has not had a feeling lead them astray? Feelings alone can get you into some pretty major trouble if they dictate actions. Feelings can lead you to do some pretty bad things. Not only that, but likewise, feelings can sometimes be deceptive in a different way. Sometimes doing the right thing has a less than pleasurable feeling. You know, I'm trying to get back in shape. Uh, I gained some marriage weight recently, and I'm trying to get back in shape, and I want to exercise, but you know what? Exercise is going to be good for me. It's going to be good for my heart, but you know what? In the moment, lifting those weights can hurt. It doesn't feel good. In the, when you're running on that treadmill, sometimes it just doesn't feel good. You, so feelings can lead you to do bad things, but they can also keep you from doing good things. At the end of the day, friends, feelings are simply terrible moral guides for what is right and what is wrong. Hitler got away with what he got away with. Why? Because enough people felt approval about what he was doing. 
So they let him proceed with what he wanted. We cannot let our feelings, and, or even a large number of people's feelings, dictate our moral duties. Feelings cannot be the end all. And more and more individuals are trans these days, and I will tell you why. It is because feelings themselves have become a god in our culture. This is essentially what the education system teaches, right? Everything in college, it's crazy, is, well, how do you feel? How do you feel about the story? What do you mean, how do I feel about the story? What was the person who was writing the story trying to say? Is should the better question that we should be teaching people? So what, what the books teach, it's all about your feelings, right? And it is really self-idolatry cleverly disguised. There is a movement even within our Christian culture that is all about feelings. And while we need to process feelings, as the psalmist often did, and while God actually wants us to be joyful and to be happy so long as it is rooted in him and not anything else, feelings cannot be the standard of right and wrong. Feelings at very most indicate that there is a problem with the mindset that you have. But they should never dictate these things. If one feels like another sex, that should indicate that there is an issue, maybe displeasure with the Lord, and it should be addressed and addressed appropriately, but those feelings should never dictate how you address it. Those feelings need to be separate from the issue, never dictating how one deals with the issue. Why? Again, because human feelings, human emotions, they're very misleading. The Bible says we ourselves cannot even sort through them. We don't even know. Here's what it says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Now, this verse is interesting because it is actually saying that we are the worst judge of rightness and wrongness concerning how we feel. And we, you should know this if you just stop and think about it for a second. It's very, very, very hard to discern your own feelings correctly since your emotional state itself is affected by those same feelings. Thus, man cannot know his own heart and will as well as he thinks. It's too convoluted. It's too complex for us. We ourselves are too involved, right? It's like we disturb the process as we try to dissect it. We're too, for lack of better words, we're too dumb. But the Lord, what does it say? It says that the Lord can understand and dissect the heart. Jeremiah indicates that the heart, that, that the heart from which feelings flow is a mechanism of deception, but only one person understands it. It's not oneself, it is God. And friends, since God understands our feelings and understands our hearts better than we do, there is a reason he has given us the instructions regarding this issue of gender. Because he knows better than us. He is the only one who understands man's heart. And you see, we must always ask the question, are these feelings deceptive? And if that question is not asked, and one does not look towards the Bible and to God, 
who discerns the heart of man, then those feelings are elevated to a sinful level. And feelings can lead to some very dark and evil things. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. The heart of a fallen man, an unregenerate person, is not just evil. It says it is full of evil. And it leads to irrationality, to unreasonable feelings. People feel good. Here's another thing that just popped in my head. People feel good when they shoot up heroin, don't they? But it's very irrational. It destroys you. It destroys you. And it's, it's insane. It is self-destructive behavior. Feelings here, they, they can be full of evil and insanity. You see, there is a sense in which total depravity of mankind plays a large role here. Realizing that our feelings, that our heart, it doesn't work right. There is something fundamentally wrong with us. Our feelings cannot guide us. We need something more. We need the word of God. We need the shepherd to guide us into truth. Friends, every single issue that we have talked about in this series is all rooted in throwing the Bible down when we should be picking it up. Because we are wicked in our ways and in our thoughts without God. And it comes from within us. And if this is even possible, that this type of wickedness exists in the human heart, then there is no way of truly being able to say that transgenderism, transsexuality, though based in deep feelings, is not an evil feeling. In fact, given man's depravity, it likely is. Quite honestly, there is this group of people, and they assume mankind is basically good, and our feelings generally lead us well. I believe this is a very naive view of humanity's history and the world around them. Look around for but five minutes. You will see the evil of man's heart popping up all around. How could you deny it? How could you say that we are at our core good? We are at our core evil. We need someone to save us. We know this inherently too. Give yourself enough time and you will see your own evils pop out of your heart. Oh, but God has given us himself and he's transforming the saint. That's, that's one of the joys of being a Christian. Being transformed. We want to be trans. Let's be transformed from the soul. That's what we really long for. And people are not going to like what I have to say, but feelings cannot be the guide for morality because man is not naturally good, but naturally in our fallen state evil. Look at what Mark says in Mark chapter 7. Jesus was saying, that which proceeds out of a man is what defiles the man. And he says this, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornication, adulteries, as well as deceit, sensuality, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. 
It is the heart. We have a heart problem. It is the wicked desires. It is the deceptive feelings themselves that lead to the defilement. And you see, instead of acting on these transgender feelings, instead of saying, follow your heart, the feelings themselves should be scrutinized and investigated. It is an idolatry of emotion and feeling that is actually the root core of these sins. Unchecked feelings. And this is what led Adam and Eve to fall as well. This is the idolatry of unchecked feelings. It will lead us astray too if we are not careful. Feelings can be good. I'm not here to bash all feelings. But they should be scrutinized with not more feelings, with the word of God. We don't need any more additional unreliable feelings to guide us. But we need to analyze these things by the scripture and process our feelings by the scripture. Again, the psalmist, many, many feelings. But he always went back to God at the end. He always processed it through the lens of the Lord. And we need to do the same thing because they are unreliable. Here is what the reformer Martin Luther says. He says, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. It is his authority alone that matters. So we saw the steel man argument that one feels they are another gender. That is the strongest form of the argument. If you can think of a stronger one, I'd love to discuss it with you at some point. But this is what I think is the strongest form of the argument. And we know experientially, anecdotally, and most important, biblically, that feelings are not good moral guides. Feelings can be very unreliable. So we know feelings are not good in the discussion on gender. They mislead, they deceive. So what then do we have? We have to go back. We have to pick up our Bibles again and go back to the authority, go back to the definer of gender. And not seek to reject God, but seek obedience in his design. So here's what we've seen. We've seen that the transagenda attempts to overthrow God's authority. It seeks to take everything God has described about gender, all of the rules, and toss them out and replace them with unreliable feelings. And when his authority is rejected again, all that is left, and here's the sad part, all that is left is a lifetime of unfulfillment. Do you know Satan wants to ruin your life? <laughs> he doesn't want you to be happy at least in the end, end scheme of things, he wants you to be miserable. And so he tempts us with different things that might look appealing or give us a form of like temporary enjoyment and happiness. But those things will never fulfill you. If you pursue this lifestyle, you will live an unfulfilled life because it is God who designed you and God who knows what is best, what will bring you the greatest fulfillment. And it is found in him and in his design that he has for you. And after this lifetime of searching, this lifetime of being unfulfilled, what is left is this. This is the eternal fate. Even worse, after this lifetime, there is an eternal second death. The unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Friend, if you are convinced you are another gender, the Lord says this is an abomination as we saw in Deuteronomy. 
this, this type, of, type of action, and it's also a form of lying. You're lying to yourself. And that means that this is the fate. But friends, there is still time. There is still time to repent. There is still time to dust off that Bible that has been tossed in the ground and to open it up and to realize that all of your greatest fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. That he can transform your life. That is the thing you are really seeking. That is the thing you really need. You need transformation. But it will, that opportunity will not always be here for you. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day. Don't go home. Don't, don't waste any more time trying to be fulfilled in something other than God. Don't believe the lie. Think biblically. Think, think what the truth is. And again, remember our end goal. We will want reconciliation. We want to plea with you. Be reconciled to God. So I plea with you, friends, be reconciled. Reject the lies that you believe and believe the truth about good and evil, about yourself, about God's perfect holiness, about his authority. And friends, repent because he loves you and he has made a way through Calvary. Calvary covers it all like we sang. Even these sins, such were some of you. Are you thinking biblically about the trans agenda. I hope so. Let's bow our heads and pray. And um, Roy, you can, yes, let's, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word. We pray that uh, it would go forth and uh, just transform our lives, Lord, that you would equip us to speak with people about these issues uh, throughout the week, as there are many people who, who believe these things, and that those who heard these things, who are living this lifestyle, that your Holy Spirit, that you would continue the work in their life, Lord, to allow them to be reconciled, to have true repentance in you. Lord, bless us now as we go in Christ's name.